0: So I was talking to Keith, and uh, you know we have a organized program here. Normally, you know, and it's good to be organized. It's good to be in the physical world, trying to keep it in order. And uh, you know, Keith's going to be talking later here, and uh, but I wanted to, to talk about what it is we're doing. What are we doing here as Christians, as believers? And, you know, if you think about it, I don't know, how many of you have been Christians for over, let's say, 30 years? Okay, good number of hands. I, I would fall into that bucket. Uh, anyone longer? Yeah? good. <laughs> no, uh, how about new Christians? Anyone under five years? Okay. Well, some, some people say, what is, what is a Christian? You know, what is it? Uh, some Americans would tell you just being an American means you're a Christian. Uh, Christian nation. And what, how I would define it is, is that it is not just somebody that's in a Christian culture, but it's someone that has placed their full-weighted trust on Jesus Christ. They believe that he is who he said he was. And that he did a work that brought you who believe or us who believe into a full redemptive state, which means reconciled back to God. Now, anything short of that, to me, is unbiblical. And so, if you think about that, how do you reconcile that in your mind when physically you don't see a difference, Nothing happens to you mystically or nothing happens to you magically that there's a change or your eye color turns or or something that would signify a physical change. Now, you can look at somebody's actions, but you can fake those actions. And if I ask you if you knew anyone who acted like a Christian, but really you weren't really sure, you'd probably all raise your hands. Or if I ask you, is there anyone who you know is a Christian but acts crazy, like a sinner? You'd probably raise your hand on that, too. You might even look in the mirror and say, well, that's me. So how do you reconcile the physical and the spiritual? And we often find that we try to connect those two as much as we can. We pray to God to change the physical and we hold him like, hopefully he'll change it. Hopefully he'll, he'll do my bidding from the spiritual and change the physical. And if that's most of your thoughts, I would say well, you might want to rethink it or you might want to maybe look at it differently. Now, spiritual is the unseen. Our faith in the spiritual, which God is Spirit, is an assurance that He's there, and a hope that it's all true, and then there's a future for us eternally, and a conviction that we don't see through like miracles and all this uh, confirmation, but it's something that we believe and know and put our faith on. I stepped up on the stage knowing that it was going to hold me. I trusted it. I didn't even think about it, honestly, until right now. And I feel like if I, if I really pressed it, I jumped on it. It would still hold me. So if there's something spiritual that's true, which brings us all here, and we know we can't predict the physical, and we can't even predict how the spiritual affects the physical, then what are we believing in? And is it enough? Now, think about your heart's desire for the physical, what you could change down here. There's probably going to be prayer requests, and there's nothing wrong with prayer requests that deal in the physical. You know, we we, we pray for, for people that we know. I, I spent a lot of time with uh, a friend yesterday that's that's dying. He's my age. And that's a part of the, you know, if you watch Lion King, that's a circle of life, right? I've Spent a lot of time with him, but because I'm spiritually grounded, I didn't get overtaken by that sorrow or that physical situation. Uh, I lost my father uh, a a few months ago, and I thought I would be swept away in that situation before it happened, but I wasn't. And I'm trying to think, where where is this strength coming from? I know it is that I, I know I care. It's not because I'm indifferent. It's not because I don't care. Because I do, I care deeply. But it's because I believe something that's true, that I'm so convinced of that the physical becomes less of a priority and less of a focus than the spiritual. I've got this formula that I use to try to get through life. It's thinking leads to choices, leads to actions, leads to results. And if I'm focused on the results or what I'd like to see change down here in the physical, then I'm not really focused on the thinking part of it. I'm, I'm thinking about the results. Then I'm thinking about my own actions. If, and I'm saying if I've got a worldly mindset or if I've got... If I'm off my game, I'm thinking about the results I want and the actions it's going to take to get there or somebody else's actions that upset me in the physical. And, and I'm focused on those things. And next thing you know, I'm not doing very well. We had Bible study this week, and we were talking about the spiritual versus the physical. We were talking about this, this wonderful life we have in Christ. And then some guy poked his head through, through the next room and said, hey, we got this room you guys need to clear out. And instantly I went from spiritual to like, excuse, and a couple of the guys were here and I, I think one guy told me that my face said it all. Like I didn't have to say anything, but my, my countenance, my, I just changed like that. And But I didn't say anything and I didn't do anything and we cleared out. And I was just processing that after the fact that, man, the the spiritual to the physical can change just like that, but the physical to the spiritual can change just like that, too, in your mind and how you think. So I want to challenge you that if you're spending a lot of focus and time on the physical, because you know this is a crazy world, chaotic, it, it's, it's unfair, okay, it's, it's painful, and it's always going to be that way. And if all you're looking at is the physical, then you're going to be miserable, or you might ride this wave of up and down circumstances and happiness and sorrow. That is not the life that we have availability to. We have availability to a life focused on the spiritual, and it's specific, it's Jesus Christ, and if you get jammed up in the physical and you need some peace, it's available to you even through nasty circumstances. I've, I've been in, this year at least in what I would consider if I had to guess the worst circumstances I could be in at least that I, in my mind I could conjure up with my father. And I had peace through the whole thing. And I was clinging to the spiritual. I was praying on the way up to that uh, event not for a result, not for anything other than that, Lord, run it through me all the way. Do not let me get distracted from you. Help me stay focused on you and be useful. And I will tell you that I was a different person than what I would have been had I been focused on the results and the actions. Now, if what I'm saying is confusing you, it's okay. Ask God to reveal how the spiritual should dominate your life versus the physical. Okay? So you can be in the world, but not of the world. Have you guys heard that? Kind of a cliche. I wanted to share that because you have been transferred from the physical to the spiritual. God has taken you. If you placed your faith and weight in him and your trust, he has transferred you. You could say he's converted you you could say he's reborn you or i don't think that's proper english there but you've been you've been transformed transitioned into the spiritual so now you're different and you can fly up here even when things are bad down here and by the way things are good down here sometimes too most of the time for me honestly but sometimes they're not so any I'm, I'm not going to... I think Danny is going to do prayer. So, Danny, you can come on up here. Uh, one more thing before I step down is, when I look out, and I have a relationship with you, and you've made it clear to me that you've put your full-weighted trust in Jesus, then I see you as a spiritual relative to me. Equal in every way. There's no difference. Zero difference as far as value, as far as how much God loves you, and about what you're truly worth. And that's seeing you in the spiritual. And if we see each other that way, it solves almost every problem in a relationship. So, all right, brother.
1: Thanks, Luke. <clears throat> that sound like uh, Ephesians chapter 2 which is one of my favorite uh, chapters. It talks about all the things that happened to us when we believed in Jesus. Um, transformed from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. Children, heirs, used to be strangers, used to be foreigners. Anyway, Keith asked me to come up and say a couple things, and um, he asked me to tell you about something that happened a while ago. In the spring of 94 i said god i want you to want you to make me holy and um i heard a voice and he said you are and uh at that time i i was a believer i was a a, what i would guess i would say a baby believer young in my faith and um i also had this scratch that was still on my arm and it was from uh My wife at the time, I was married once before, if you didn't know that. Um, And I just had a big bad fight. I was living on my buddy's couch. And I'm looking around, I'm like, how can you say that, God? And he said, because Jesus. And I was like, what about my my sin? And he said, it was taken care of on the cross. And I I asked a couple other more dumb questions, and he answered right away all of those and then finally I was quiet. But um, the, the back story was I'd had a fight with my wife at the time, I had moved out, I was living on my buddy's couch for about a month and um, um, I had a dream. So in my dream I was in the front seat with my mom and dad driving a car and my dad was driving, the windows were down, it was a hot summer day We turn a corner in a downtown street and traffic kind of stops us, so we're in the middle of the intersection, and this lady who's sitting on a bench uh, hands her baby to a friend that's sitting with her, and she gets up and she comes towards our car and says, hey, you want a trick? And uh, my dad's like, and and me and my brother are kind of chuckling under our breath. Again, this is my dream that I'm having. Uh, And... Um, my dad's like and then the lady's like alright, she goes and sits back down and grabs the baby back from her friend and then traffic starts moving again we continue around the corner and I mumble under my breath in Dr. Seuss fashion I would not, could not here or there I would not, could not anywhere and um, and my brother kind of chuckles in the back seat and my dad's like, Joey he always called me Joey uh, he says, Joey that's that's disrespectful. That was his thing when I was doing something or saying something wrong. He'd say, that's disrespectful. And I was like, I know, Dad, you're right. You're, you're right. And uh, I was like, in my dream, I said, Dad, I want to I be holy. And he's like, well, you know, everybody, you know, we try to do good and do the right things and try to be nice and, you know, go to church and stuff. And I was like, no, Dad, I want to be holy. And that's when I woke up and I'm laying on my buddy's couch in his one-bedroom apartment and uh, looking at my arm that's still got the scratch on it. And uh, I'm looking around. I'm like, I'm getting ready to go through a divorce. My anger and short temper and selfishness is partly what got me here. And, uh, and I just said out loud, I was like, God, I want to be Holy. And he said, "You are." And um, when he said it, it was like um, I knew his voice, but I had never heard it before. but instantly in my spirit and my soul, I knew it was him, and I knew who it was. So I immediately like rolled off the couch, and I was like on my face and on my knees, because there was this overwhelming feeling that um, the person who spoke that uh, was really holy and I, again I knew who it was and, and by the way um, for years and years I've, I've tried to do crazy stupid things to make people think I'm crazy and like that Danny is just bonkers well I don't tell this story very often because I'm pretty sure that a lot of people now are like yeah yeah that explains a lot Danny's crazy so, um, I, I, um, I've told this story a few times, and I think, um, I told it recently to uh, my daughter Rachel, because she was, I forget why, she was doing something for one of her college classes, and um, was going to tell the story to her class, or turn it in, I don't know. So anyway, um, for me, that event has been an anchor point uh, for my faith and for my life. And um, um, it's, it was another point in my life where um, I matured in my faith, going from uh, somebody who was maybe looking at my behavior and looking at maybe other people's behavior and realizing that that's not what makes me holy. It's uh, my faith in Christ. And he, like Luke mentioned, I was transformed. I was made holy. I was made righteous by faith one time when I believed. And then as I'm going on years later, uh, a lot of you guys know that Danny that is not a selfish jerk, not a man whore. Sorry for teaching your kids a new word. um, Not... Uh, Sleeze bag, okay, another new word, sorry. Um, and um, another funny story Rachel has told her friends uh, about the way her dad used to be when he was her age. And one of her friends met me, and she's like, Oh, this is my, my dad. And, and like her friend, you know, hung out with us for a bit, and she was like, Well, well that's your stepdad, right? And she was like, No, no, that's my dad. Well, and she was, her friend was, Rachel's friend was like, but you've described your dad being this, like, different person. And she's like, no, no, Jesus, Jesus changed. Now he's, he's, uh, he's a a nice guy now. (laughs) Anyway, uh, so I just wanted to share that story. Um, I know most people haven't gotten an audible, but um, as Keith calls it, an audible. But um, let me just remind you, there's a bunch of verses um, that talk about, as Luke mentioned, the transformation that happened when we believed. When we believed in Christ, we are born again. It's a way to describe what's happened. We get a new heart. Our heart of stone is taken out. We get a heart of flesh. We're forgiven. Somehow we're in Christ when he was crucified. So it's not behavior so another part of that that's that I've been like uh processing for the last year or so is just having my mind open to being given new thoughts which means ultimately yeah some of the things I think are wrong we'll just say it like that nobody nobody I I don't appreciate when people come up and and say hey Danny you're wrong I feel like they're really just saying, you're a stupid idiot. You're wrong about <laughs> what you're thinking. Adrian, uh, my good friend Adrian, he's here somewhere. He he basically says it gently all the time. He's like, Danny, it's just my opinion. But that's, he doesn't say it. But what he's really saying is, Danny, that's stupid. <laughs> <Let's>, <laughs> let me change your mind. And how about we think think about it this way. So thank you, Adrian, for always being gentle and patient. So, But... A gentle way to say it is uh, if you can be open to having your mind changed. In other words, if you're sitting here and I'm saying, if you're in Christ, you are holy, and you're like, that's not true, because look at my behavior. I'm like, it doesn't have anything to do with your behavior. It has to do with the Jesus that you're you're pursuing. So let me just encourage you to keep pursuing. Uh, And it's also possible... To put it gently, that some of the things you think might be wrong. Um, I've learned some new things hanging out with some people that are pursuing Jesus, and it's been good. So, um, for me, that event that happened a long time ago in the spring of 1994 was encouraging.
2: A friend taught me more than 35 years ago probably the most important idea in life. And I learned it under um, circumstances probably motivated by greed, but he was training me to be a stockbroker. And it was an hour-long training meeting. And he said... You will, learn, you will make more money listening than talking. And he gave an hour-long presentation, but he said, you need to le- learn to listen. I'd already been through college, I've been through school, grown up in a household, but to, to learn to listen is probably one of life's most challenging efforts I don't know about you all, but to actually hear what's being said is one of the hardest things on the planet. And yet, maybe the most beneficial. He is so meaningful to me. Uh, I had his name put on a cup. So when I drank from this, I remember to pray for my friend Ken. He's 91, I think. And to this day, he's one of the most interesting people for me to listen to. But what I was thinking as I was preparing for this week is how do you listen to God? And just this morning, he suggested I had Danny come up here and say, uh, on occasion, somebody's going to get an audible I didn't think that way as a younger man. I thought that was foolishness that somebody would get an audible. And then I met some people who've had audibles. And so I thought, why wouldn't the God who created the universe be willing to speak to people audibly? I've not ever had an audible. I don't uh, know that I could handle an audible. But he spoke audibly to Danny. He speaks differently to all of us and the idea of listening to him may be the greatest thing you can ever learn. I thought of dropping the mic and walking off stage and just let you ponder that, but the Lord gave me some notes and uh, I told Rusty I had more notes than time and ironically, This morning I listened to him, and a lot of the time that I was going to need was already used by just listening to the Spirit and listening to our brothers in Christ uh, pour out their hearts here. It's just really interesting to me. But maybe I can cover some of my notes today, and then maybe Rusty will give me another time to finish my thoughts with you, and maybe um, it'll encourage you to listen and hear more clearly, because the God that saved your soul and called you into relationship with him has an incredible adventure for you today. Not for your life. I'm talking about today he's got something for you that he's probably whispering it to you. But um, I think I was listening to Danny say something. I think Danny said it, but I, I, I wrote it in my notes. And it went along with uh, that you might have to think differently, is I think what Danny was saying. And I, in my notes, I scribbled on here. I think until you rethink your thoughts, you're doomed to live in them. <laughs> just thought that was really profound. Until you learn to rethink your thoughts, you're doomed to live in them. And uh, so I want to throw out this to you. I'm going to just shift from a serious mode to uh, making you think really outside your comfort zone. I might scare off some more people, but that's okay if I scare you off. Uh, If you can't handle me, then you probably need to leave now. So (laughs) have you considered why there was a toilet paper shortage during COVID? This is a serious question now. You don't have to answer, but a lot of times the answers are simpler than you think, and the answer to the toilet paper shortage during COVID is this, half of what you do, you do at work and at school, and the system was not built for you to do half of what you do beyond the normal half at home. So all that toilet paper that was designed to be at your school and your work was on the system being built, and there wasn't enough system for you to do all that you do at home. They had to get the system caught up. But everybody thought it was because everybody was hoarding it, but it wasn't at all. It was because the system was screwed up. And maybe it's a system that's screwed up that's caused you to think wrong all these years. Just maybe. And that's just maybe worth you stopping and thinking sometimes. What is it that this listening to God looks like? I spent a uh, couple years of my life at Houston, Texas, working for Texas Instruments and If you've ever read uh, Malcolm Gladwell's The Tipping Point, he talked a lot, I think it was that book, about how the technology revolution just ramped up from that time in history. So at that time in history, I was right at the beginning of this technological evolution we've seen, just right at the heartbeat of it. On some of the highest technology that was out there, I got to be right there on the forefront of that. Thankfully, The Lord made it clear to me. He didn't speak audibly, but that wasn't my calling for what my skill set was with. But I thought this week that maybe thinking of helping you think about listening better to him, I would talk a little bit about the history of technology and see if this doesn't resonate with some of you about how you listen better to the God of the universe. So electricity has a lot to do with technology, right? Like we wouldn't have high technology that we have today without electricity, which goes back to the 1800s with Edison. But prior, excuse me, prior to a guy named Jack Kilby, Kilby was one of the original people at Texas Instruments, and he is credited with um, uh, inventing the integrated circuit. And so, none of this real technology that we have today really existed before Kilby invented the the integrated circuit to make decisions happen really, really fast. So prior to probably the late 1950s, there really wasn't electric solutions for technology. What we had was our fingers, our toes, the they used even when I was in school in Abacus any of you guys remember those things like moving the little marble things on there and um, there was even the engineers used a thing called a slide rule anybody ever seen one of those that's what technology was prior to the evolution of Kilby's invention and then we got a very basic level of technology it was a handheld calculator remember those battery operated and Man, I remember the geeks were carrying those things around and doing all their little calculations on those things. They, what were they? Texas Instruments had them, yeah. And, and they were battery-operated, right? They had, a, they had a source of energy, but it had a finite life. And then after that, the, all these integrated circuits got really multiplied into a thing called a mainframe computer. The IBM 360 was a big deal, I don't remember when it started, probably in the 1970s, if not the late 60s. And I I I worked with the IBM 360 while I was in college. And the IBM 360 was this powerful thing. It had a built-up floor, probably as high as what I'm standing here. It pumped air conditioning underneath it to keep all the moving parts cool and functional. But to get to the IBM 360 that I was working with, It was a walled-off room. I mean, this was an expensive computer. It was walled-off, and there was a window about this big that you could stick your head in, and you could hand your input into this person called a computer operator who would then put your input into the computer operator. Then you go stand in another room and just wait. Just wait. Twiddle your fingers, do whatever. Some people were smoking cigarettes. I don't know what else was going on, but they are waiting for the output. Can you envision this? Like it was, it was like hours that you would give this input and then the output would come in this green paper with holes on the side of it. It might be thick, it might be thin, but it would give you the answer to your question is how the IBM 360 looked. And then just a few years later, probably into the early 1980s, they came up with these things called desktop computers. These desktop computers gave you the power at your fingertips. They were kind of antiquated, like from what you're thinking today, because they they just they weren't really connected to much. But they you could put these disks in them, you can type and do you could do your calculator calculations much faster than you could on even the IBM 360. And so those desktop computers they became notebook computers and variety of other things. They became more functional, different companies besides IBM made them, Apple made them, and other people. But then in the 90s, there was this thing called the internet that brought connectivity to those um, desktop and notebook computers that expanded the power of those things, there was a guy named Moore that had this thing called moore 's law that was talking about how fast technology expands, and it 's expanding at this really, really fast pace, and it, it allows you to have all this power, all this information at your fingertips and the internet just took that i don 't know if those of you in the room remember how fast that expanded your power, your possibilities, your knowledge and then um, that was even brought into this idea of the cloud. Where the cloud is kind of like that IBM three sixty computer, that big computer it puts this big computer out there somewhere and unmarked buildings all over the country, and it 's got memory and power and energy but it it 's still a distant away from you doing like when you type on your phone, you have no idea where that all goes to before it comes back to you, but as an investment goes, all that stuff is past technology what what the new high-end technology is called the edge computing. Have you heard of this before? Anybody? Any techies in here? Jim you want to play a quick video? This is the most succinct video I could find of what edge computing is.
1: Edge computing and fog computing are huge buzzwords at the moment so I want to try to explain what they are. It basically means Instead of collecting data on your phone and sending it to a server far away to be analyzed, you perform the analysis on your device.
2: So, so essentially, if you've got this, if you can envision a network being spread out all over the place, and then instead of it going up into the cloud, the, the things on the end of that network, the very edge of that network, have all the computing power necessary to do whatever needs to be done, except that they would rely maybe on the the, the cloud a little bit. Like a a Tesla, when it goes self-automating, it's going to have to do a lot of those calculations right in the Tesla, right in the moment. There's stuff that can come down from the cloud But if you're relying on the cloud and you're driving self-automated Tesla and the cloud shuts down, you might be buying a tree or a car in front of you or something else. There has to be something powerful enough right on that device that can take care of the situation. How do you like this history of computing? Is this what you bargained for? (laughs) And so so, um, what I'm wondering... What I'm wondering if anybody's ever told you that you are the edge of the network. That all of the power, the computing power necessary, dwells in you. He also called it the fog. I don't know if you heard him say that fog computing. It's the same idea that these devices, its another word they call it's the Internet of Things. There's, you're going to be able to turn your lights on. You're going to be able to do all this stuff in the months and years ahead. And the fog computing ideas, these little drops of devices have power to do things. And can you imagine what the fog of love on planet Earth would look like if each of us realized we have all power, decision-making, ability, that we don't have to go hand our thoughts to this distant thing and wait for hours to get an answer, but you have all power in you right now, able to go and do what God might want you to do. That's what the edge is. And so what I would encourage you is that you have, if you have, well, let me step back I would say that if you consider electricity as the dividing point of spirituality in this analogy, that the moment that you were born you were one of these non-electronic devices to get calculations done. The Bible says you were born in the atom. In other words, you didn't have the access of electricity. You were you were operating out of your own strength. And, and You're limited with your fingers, your toes, your abacus. You're limited with whatever is there apart from life in Christ. I'm assuming everybody in this room has crossed out of death and is into life and that you have the living spirit of God in you. So we're just going to assume that pre-electricity technology is behind us. But one of the problems with the calculator kind of idea is that with the early calculators, they were battery-powered and yet um, somewhat limited. And, And it might represent the perception of someone who has trusted Christ but has not sought out much intimacy with him. That's what it might give you, that perception. There's some people that... Are operating in their life in Christ that they think that they're not good enough for Christ that they got this battery that's not powering them enough and that they got to do more and and, and pursue him more Uh, I forget what other words Danny used but that would be like thinking like a calculator thing and that's just not true even if that's where you think you are you have all power today That, that mainstream power thing the guy that operated the computer where we were at was just a nasty guy and I perceive that IBM 360 to be this all-powerful system, right up in the sky. That <laughs> I didn't—I put something in and hope something came back, right? And and that's the same kind of perception a lot of people have of God—that He's this distant God. That if He gives me back some kind of output from what I gave Him, then that I'd be fortunate. And 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 that's just not God. That's a perception of who God is. That's not true. That mainframe is not God. Then, I don't know, some of you are too young to remember the desktop computers. When they first came out, they had a thing called disk operating system or DOS. And that thing was just nasty. It was, you had, you felt like you had access to God, right? But that if you screwed something up with that, the whole computer might start smoking, right? And, and that, that's a perception that people walk around thinking that if I just do something wrong, this whole connectivity to God could go wrong as well. And it's it's a perception, it's not reality. Then the internet and the cloud computing came along and gave you this kind of personal grace kind of feeling about things. But it still is a distant thing, right? Like it, I had to kind of send it out there and wait for it to come back. If my server on my end is not working well or the server on the other end isn't working, there's this delay in time that it, I just feel like I don't have this feeling of God because of this delay in my situation. Maybe it's Dave that's been fighting cancer that, you know, he wanted this answer and he didn't get that answer that he wanted and yet this internet just doesn't maybe work fast enough. But this edge, this idea where the computing power is right there at the end, it could be the little children, it could be the senior adults, it can be Anybody on the planet, this edge says that all power has been given to you. And you're connected right then. You have the ability right then to respond to life right then. And that edge, it also has the ability to get the input really quickly from that power source. Because in 1 Corinthians, it says that the moment you trusted God, he joined his spirit with your spirit. When you say that it's Christ in me or I've asked Christ in my heart, what that says in the Bible is you've become one with God. Does this make sense? That you are one with God. And so if you're one with God, you don't have to send it to the cloud. You don't have to go out to these like foreign computers. You don't have to buy software programs. He's communicating to you right now. He's communicating to you today. He's telling you things that are just unbelievable. And, and so you are the edge of God. He has put you in this fog of humanity to express him to the world today. He is so amazed by you. He's so in love by you. He's so thankful for you that he has empowered you to be the edge to humanity. I can't think of a time in my lifetime where humanity has needed you as much as it needs you today. It is the most desperate time in all of humanity that I've experienced in my 60 years of life. I've not seen such a desperate time. And you are the messengers of the living God You have the ability to get the message faster, more powerfully, more personally. You can sit down with Dave and walk through the final days with Dave and bring hope to him. You can do amazing things. But that is all, I think, contingent upon your ability to listen better, to hear what God's telling you and to know how to respond to that. I think, I think, I'm going to stop right there. (laughs) I've got more thoughts on how to do this, but I don't know that I have the time to really jump into it. But I think uh, to let you know that you are the edge is probably as important as anything else. And maybe rather than talking further, uh, maybe I'll just say what questions from what I've said so far might help you think through? Or encourage you with. Second Peter 1 3, is that what you said? 2 Peter 1 3, his divine power has given us everything necessary for life and godliness. Thank you, Doug. That 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 verse is in the past tense. Sometimes when you're reading, maybe just listening to the tenses will tell you stuff you never knew, but he has Given you in the past everything necessary for life and godliness, there's no more. Anything else that you need to ask me, or that's Hebrews four sixteen. Hebrews four sixteen. Let us therefore draw near to the throne of grace boldly. That's what Dave was saying. That that we can be intimate enough that if if. I kind of envision the throne of grace like that, IBM 360, that it's this big thing in the sky, and and the scripture says, now, today, we can go before the God of the universe boldly in our time of need, and I don't know about you guys, but my time of need usually is when I've really screwed something up, or I can't trust him enough to trust him for what I got going on right now. That's my time of need, and what, what... the the religious system will tell you is that see you're not good enough but the reality is God's saying you are good enough you are believing something that's not true so come to me boldly right now so I can help you Hebrews 4.16 anything else? I'll tell you one story before I set you loose I, I was preparing and I um Thought boy um, i uh I know I've thought about this topic before I've even written about this topic before. I sure wish I had my thoughts that I had written about this topic before because then I wouldn't have to rethink <laughs> the ideas <laughs> for this topic. I could just kind of steal my thoughts from what I had thought before. I don't know if anybody else has those challenges in life, but uh, i like to write down the thoughts about God so that I can, um, rethink them and just re- reinforce, like part of coming together as believers is to remind one another who we are. Because sometimes we forget who we are. Sometimes we can forget a little bit the fact that we are the child of the living God. And so, um, yesterday I was, um, minding my own business and then, uh Casey, my daughter's preparing for her wedding and she asked me, uh, to ask Micah to help her do something, uh, for the wedding. And so I, uh, uh, texted Micah and asked Micah to help him help her. And, but before I could get Micah's response, she told me that my son Caleb had already done what I'd asked Ka- Micah to do. And so I was like, oh, okay, no big deal. And uh, so I texted Micah back that his protege has taken care of the task. It's done. We don't need to worry with it. And he said, well, you mind if I come over and hang out anyway? I go, no, come on over. I'm just chilling. And so we uh, we sat down and talked a little bit. I was banging this idea of talking about technology as a way to explain God's uh, power and presence. And as we were talking, he goes, oh, I meant to, I meant to bring your book back on prayer. And I go, I was just thinking, I wish I had that book so I could look at some of my thoughts. Uh, and, and it's something as simple as this book, wondering, I have I don't know how long it's been, I've probably been wondering for six months where this book was. I lo- I've loaned it to people over the years, I don't worry about it, but I was just wanting to reread it, and, and Micah had it the very time I was thinking about it. Isn't that interesting? Lord, I am so thankful that we are the edge, we're in the fog of your love, that we are codependent on one another to, to create a picture of love to this universe that's struggling so bad today. And I just pray that each one of us will just absorb that power and just trust you and see what you might do with it. I thank you for this time to hang out today in Jesus' name.